0: Welcome to the Going to Eleven podcast Where we discuss all aspects of audio production From the stage to the studio My name is Dave Stagel And I'm a mix engineer and producer Currently based in the Atlanta area And we're back Back with another episode But today we're doing something a little different Something fresh My friend Marco is not with me today He's out on the road performing and doing other audio type stuff. So today, I've invited my good friend Scott Ragsdale to join me on Zoom to chat a little bit. But before we jump into our conversation, I have a little bit of housekeeping. First thing I want to let you know about is I now have a dedicated email address for the podcast, and that's podcast at goingto11.com. If you have comments or ideas for future topics or guests, we'd love to hear from you, so go ahead and drop us a note. The other thing I want to let you know about is a new opportunity I'm offering through Going to 11, and that's the Going to 11 Skill Assessment. I know a lot of engineers out there, and this is especially true for engineers in churches, a lot of guys are really trying to figure out where they're at. Are you on the right track with this audio production thing? Are you growing? Are you getting better? Maybe you're trying to figure out where to focus next in developing your skills. Maybe you're stuck and you're just trying to get unstuck. One of the most helpful things for me when I was growing as an engineer was the direct feedback i get from other engineers. And this skill assessment is an opportunity for you to get some of that in a safe and hopefully painless environment that can really serve to point you in the next direction or the right direction you should head in, and hopefully even get some encouragement in the work you're doing. The process is really simple. When you sign up, you fill out a simple questionnaire and send me a link to some recent work that I can listen to. Then we'll set up a time that works in your schedule where we can chat about things and you can get some practical next steps to take. If this is something that sounds interesting to you, I'm actually doing an introductory special on this. For the first 10 people who sign up, I'm going to offer 50% off a one-time session. So if you'd like to find out more, please head over to my website, to 11com Click on the contact link to drop me a message, or you can just email me at the new podcast email address. I'm the one who's going to check them, podcast at going 11com Did I mention we have a new email for the podcast, by the way. Anyways, all that said, let's jump into our conversation. So today I'm joined by my good friend, Scott Ragsdale. Scott is a freelance audio engineer. He's been doing that for a really long time, like 21 years or something, I think he told me. He has toured all over the world, and he's also done a lot of work in church world. He's worked with some people maybe you've heard of, like willow creek community church up in the chicago area he was on staff there for like almost his entire life it seems like <laughs> <Yeah>. it
1: <is laughs> 14
0: years yes. 14 years so yeah that <laughs> that is a lifetime for some people also work with oprah winfrey and joe bonamassa wonderful guitar player so anyways let's get in how's it going scott it's going great dave Man, I'm so I'm ready to do this. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I'm I'm really looking forward to talking. So, the reason I brought Scott on today was a couple weeks ago or maybe it was 3 weeks ago, I don't know when this is going to air just yet. I had a, an article that I put up talking about using less processing or more processing. One of the threads I see a lot of times on social media is people kind of getting upset about engineers using a lot of processing. And, you know, Scott has probably seen this as well as I have, where we will go into churches and you open up the Waves computer and they have filled it like it was a competition to kind of fill up every rack. And some (laughs) people get really upset about engineers who do that. And so I wrote an article about that talking about how you know sometimes less is more, but sometimes more is more, and there's a time and a place to do it. And Scott had a great comment when I shared the post on Facebook. He had a, had a really good comment because he talked about the amount of talent, like the quality of the talent you're working with can impact how you're doing that. And when I first saw that, I didn't quite agree with it. But then I started thinking about it for probably the next two days, and it was really hard for me to argue against it. So, I thought this would be a good thing to talk about because I think even that concept can be a little more complicated, and I thought, you know, maybe we can talk about processing today and when to do it and when not to do it, and just give you some ideas and lead you down rabbit holes and not offer any solutions. But we'll see how it goes. So so Scott, what do you think about processing in general? Like what's what's your approach when you're working with an artist or you're working at a church and you're mixing? How do you think of the processing and the tools in front of you?
1: Well, definitely, you know, you're going to need to use what is needed, what's required. But based on what your statement was, and I can tell you emphatically, there is a difference between... A great musician and a weekend warrior that's kind of what i call them and there's nothing wrong with that They're, i mean man play an instrument play music all the time but somebody who's a professional that has decided to make it their life journey become their job practices all the time when you get to mix a person like that you almost want to just get out of the way because they have thought about their tone Their sounds are dialed, their drums sound immaculate, just right out of the gate. And everything's application-specific, so know your genre of music. And I could go down so many rabbit trails right now, but I just found when I'm mixing a style of music with great musicians, the less I do, the better it seems to sound. And again, I just kind of want to get out
0: of their way. So do you think... Are our tools there just to fix things or are they good for anything else?
1: Well, I think this is the crutch of the, the problem or the answer to uh, you have to know your why. Like, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, I think both you and I have discovered our craft from hours spent turning knobs and figuring out what a device does. And and then, of course, why we're using it. Because a lot of times we just had maybe two compressors and we had to decide what channels they were going to go on. And everything else was left up to interpretation or or the tools we had to get the job done. And today with a laptop and a plug-in bundle, you kind of have the keys to the kingdom. And just putting all of those tools on channels because you've seen it in a YouTube video or you've seen your favorite engineer do it, I can pretty much tell you your favorite engineer is using that tool for a reason. They really know why they're using it or not using it. And when I see like eight plugins on a channel, I tend to go, do you know why you're doing that? Or are you just doing it because you've seen it on a YouTube video? And if you're not really understanding why you're using a piece of gear, you probably shouldn't be using that piece of gear. That's probably the simplest way I could say it without without you know offending Absol- anybody. Well,
0: <laughs> honestly, I if I offend somebody <laughs> because I tell them they shouldn't use it if they don't know what they're using it for, I don't get upset about that. One of the one of the running themes. That I got out of film school was everything you do should be motivated by something, whether it's the story or the look yes. you're trying to get or the content. You know, there there should be a reason behind everything. And when I went on staff at North Point, that was a big draw to me to go on staff with them was because the why was so important for them. There was a reason why you know, they were doing this type of music and there was a reason why the mix was this loud and there was a reason why the vocal was, you know, at a certain level in the mix and the drums were at a certain level in the mix. Everything had a reason. And you really could, if you wanted to go in on a microscopic level and look at stuff, I mean, that was how far it went in. And that was really appealing to me because that's kind of the way I think of things. You know, the, the thing about having long processing chains or plug-in chains. I go back and forth on this because on the one hand, I absolutely agree, you know, there has to be a reason why. And you really have to understand your tools and know what you're doing. But at the same time, I know there are artists that I've worked with who were amazing. And if you looked at the chain I had on them, it was rather long compared to some people. (laughs) But I could tell you exactly why every single one of those things was in there. So, let me ask you a question, Scott. Can you think of instances and maybe just broad scope reasons why when you're working with somebody who is an amazing talent, what are some reasons why you might be using a little more processing that, you know, at first glance for the the engineers who listen with their eyes? Might go, wow, what are you doing? Or do you ever run into that? Because, you know, everybody, there are different philosophies. I can think of engineers who keep their stuff really lean and really simple. And there are other engineers I know who they do console Olympics. Personally, I'm probably somewhere in between. But I'm just wondering, is, you know, what would move you to doing a lot of stuff to something?
1: It would absolutely depend on what I need to fix or control or what's bothering me. I mean, those are tools to help shape a mix and get it to where you believe it should be within the constraints of agreement with the musicians on the stage, the producer, if they're in play, because those tools are doing things, you know, they're changing the sound. And some artists are pretty particular about their sound. And you start getting in there and you start using too many of these modern tools, you're changing their sound. And that might be objectionable. And so you kind of got to get on the same page there. But for sure, I mean, I will use what is needed to get the job done. And sometimes it depends on the room you're in. Sometimes it depends on stage volume, uh, what's happening on the stage. Maybe things that I need to kind of corner a little more or maybe clean up a little more. Or maybe the sound is needing a treatment for more distortion, maybe something to help the song. You know, everything is for the purpose of the song for the band. I mean, these modern tools are amazing. I I have been really blown away at times seeing how far things have come within the digital world when it comes to plugins. And I mean, I came up in the era of analog, and a lot of the sound signature that I still love is that sound. We we you know, we say tape, saturation, tubes. And then you're finding a lot of this digital plug-in technology is emulating that stuff. And I find that amazing, awesome. Some digital chains are very clean. And they kind of want some of that dirt put back on them. And now we have tools that will do that. But here's the deal. When do you know when to stop turning the dirt up? That's, yes. <laughs> when do we- you have to have a roadmap of some sort of how far those knobs should be turned. This is all my opinion um, as an artist, and to give somebody the keys to the Ferrari, you're liable to crash the car. So I think about the Fairchild plug-in, which was, you know, the hallmark of the the Beatles. You know, that's where you kind of learned about you know, compressing a subgroup or a mixed bus with a Fairchild, you know, and Ringo Starr's drums. And, you know, now you see the Abbey Road collection come up and, you know, that is like Mecca. Ah, it's Abbey Road. But when to use that sound or, or that, that, that treatment, how to use it, don't overuse it. To me, all those thoughts should be in play of the why. And just because you have it doesn't necessarily mean you should use it you know we don't wear our badge of mixing honor of like today i used this plugin and look how cool i am does that really add value to the song or the art probably not you just want to tell your buddies that you had access to the fairchild compressor and the beatles used it and now you're cool
0: yeah um. I, you know the, the thing with this stuff it's it's not a competition and the thing i was thinking about the other day is you know we all have access to pretty much the same tools nowadays. I mean, yeah. the Waves stuff, for example, and we're just using Waves here because, you know, we're, we're talking primarily in terms of live sound today, and Waves plugins are really the main plugin used in live sound. There's some other manufacturers, the UAD stuff is starting to come out a little bit more, but the Wave stuff is out there. But whether it's Waves or UAD or Plugin Alliance, You can get a demo of this stuff and have it for seven days, 14 days. So with all of these tools that are out there, you know, you and I, we've been playing this game for a long time. So it's really easy for us to say, hey, be careful, don't overdo it. But how does someone who's, you know, they've been mixing for three years, how do you get to where you and I are at. How do you learn yeah. how to not overdo it? And how do you how do you make mistakes in a way that doesn't destroy your career?
1: Right. You don't want to be the old guy going right. get off my lawn, you kids, you know, because you'll kill your career right there <laughs> going forward. Cause that's just the way things are. I mean, I won't even deny. I mean, the music I listen to didn't have plugins on it. I mean, they had a lot of the treatment that the plugins are trying to emulate. So we just got to be, you know, right about this. I mean, compressors and gates and flangers and all this stuff is in play. It's not that it's not in play. And genres of music nowadays really use these tools. I mean, we, we can't even deny that. And if you're trying to create art that's supposed to sound like a certain style of music you're going to have to use these tools and sometimes maybe even overuse them when you think about like a nine inch nails or you, you think about some of this rave music and just the distorted kick sh- sounds and and all the sample manipulations and all that stuff i mean they are turning knobs all over the place and it, it sounds amazing it's, it's very cool so if you've got a style of band, like a folk artist, uh, a string ensemble, I mean, all these other genres of music. Just, I would just say be very careful about what you're using and know why you're using it. And definitely those situations, less is going to be more because that's a very open, natural. I'm just going to keep saying natural sound. But modern worship, if we're talking to the church group, and I mean, I'm getting schooled in this, I've I've been mixing it about some different churches now, and I've had to up my use of these products because it's a very controlled sound. And if I've got a worship team or worship leader or church producer that's wanting it to sound like the record, I'm needing to dig into these tools and I'm really messing with what's going on to their grin, to me like going, okay. (laughs) I feel uncomfortable right now, but I'm going to do this because I'm being requested to and I'm getting pushed in kind of a good way and I'm learning. And I'm, you know, if I go home, I'm probably not going to put on this record, but, uh, as long as the kids are happy, Hey, that's kind of the deal, right? I mean, this is art subjective. Mixing is subjective. And, I'm open. I'm so open. But my my love for what I'm going to put on when I get home probably won't be this. But, do you, I mean, do you want to add anything to what oh, said? i said?
0: No, um, I think this is great because you're talking about all kinds of stuff I wanted to talk about with this. You know, genre of music, like context is so key in all that you're doing. There was a band in town I am friends with. They do kind of a... It's kind of a modern jazz thing. And I mixed them, I don't know, three, four years ago at a big festival in downtown Atlanta. And the way I approach that is going to be very different from the way I approach the church gigs and the modern worship recordings that I'm doing. Those are two very different sounds. On the the more jazzier stuff, They're looking for something that is a lot more organic, a lot more natural. You know, they had, he had a real horn section, which was so awesome. And keyboards, guitar, the guitars are cleaner. Everything is supposed to sound like it sounds on that stage.
1: Yeah, very pristine.
0: When I'm doing a more modern genre of music, like, I'll just use modern worship because that's most of the projects that I'm working on these days. You know, let's just, I mean, let's just talk about drum sounds in modern worship. That is not, that's a great place to start. The way drums sound. I mean, if you, you listen, you listen (laughs) to a kick drum on stage, (laughs) like go stand up next to the kick drum. And this is something I do all the time when I'm, working, especially with drummers I've never worked with before, but even with the guys I have worked with, I go up and I stand next to them while they play the kit to listen to what are they doing? What is What are we starting with here? Because this is kind of the direction they're going in. Now I'm going to have to go and fit it into the context of the music. And, you know, what I end up doing, the drummer's like, but with the compression... And the shaping, I mean, that's not what drums sound like. What you're hearing in modern worship, modern rock right now, and even getting into the like the country stuff, even, your modern country. I mean, oh yeah, I listened to the latest Keith Urban. Is that country? I don't know.
1: <laughs> to me, it,
0: it sounds like something else. Dave, but the sounds, yeah, Dave, go gonna, ahead and I'm stop gonna... me. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop
1: you for one second because you you've you've ignited a story in me that just happened. So I'm mixing in this church, and the young engineer that I was following, who I was you know he was taking some time off, when the kick drum started, I'm looking at the kick drum and I'm like that cannot be the kick drum I'm hearing. Like it's this killer Gretsch, beautiful kick drum, and what's coming to the PA is like some altered universe. (laughs) I was I was not sure. And then, when I pulled up the plugin chain, you know things like Smack, which was like a designer type plug-in and some other things. and it was like it was taking what the microphone was picking up and it was altering it to just this pointy i'm gonna date myself almost Simmons sounding drum. It had no warmth, it had no body. It was just kind of this it sounded like a triggered sample, to be honest. It did not sound like that natural kick drum. And it's funny, you mentioned the Keith Urban record, and I was listening to that Keith Urban record, and I heard that same kick drum sound. And it challenged me. I'm like, okay, whoa. And I'm like, well, maybe this is the new game. Maybe it's to use these tools to take our sound sources and change them into, I guess I would just call it a modern sound and be okay with it. That's what... The kids are listening to, I hate, to, that's terrible to say it <laughs> that way. But I mean, that, that's what's kind of going on. And, and even discovering some of these, again, I won't mention names, but some of the churches that are really doing well in the modern church worship scene, when I've watched some of the videos, man, some of the toms and some of the stuff sounds completely triggered, are completely replaced, like sample replaced, because I've done live sound a long time. Some of them are doing that. And what I'm hearing, it, what... Man, when I'm hearing some of these drum sounds, i'm like I'm really questioning. I'm looking at the drum, I'm seeing the mic, but I really don't think that's the natural drum or what I'm hearing. You know, and I'm going to add this last part, you know, when we started this, Dave, we used to call it sound reinforcement. Right. We were reinforcing the natural instruments and voices that were coming yep. from the stage. It's almost become sound design our sound creation from front of house with our tools. It's kind of almost a new way of thinking about the job.
0: You know, there's a fine line to me between producing and mixing. And I think what we're doing, or at least what I'm doing as a mix engineer, really, like, if I went back 20, 25 years ago back when I was a studio intern, what I'm doing would have been classified more as producing because there's a sound, I mean, you know, it starts somewhere. And going back to drum sounds today on records, I mean, look, Newsflash, if if you didn't know, a lot of people use samples. You know, I had a conversation with Tom Lord Algae about a year ago, and I remember I asked him about drum samples because he uses A lot of drum samples. His brother Chris uses a lot of drum samples. And they're winning, yeah. And have I said (laughs) when? When did this start? And he said, "Oh, right from the beginning, meaning the beginning of his career, which we can roll back to." Wow. With him, the first big record that he did was the Steve Winwood um, with Higher Love on it. Was that back in the High Life? I think it was back in the High Life. Yeah, great. Which he won a Grammy for best engineered record. (laughs) on his first, basically his first major project out of the gate. But one of the things I always liked about Tom Lord Algae is he actually started in live sound before he went into the studio. And his brother kind of brought him in and brought him off the road doing that. But a lot of the stuff that's going on today, it's actually been going on for a long time. And some of the drum sounds that probably influenced me which were organic natural drum sounds. But a lot of times it was guys who were chasing, they were chasing that electronic drum sound, you know, that drum stuff from the mid 80s and stuff, because they didn't know that that stuff was fake and it was samples. And a lot of the samples, the other thing too I want to say about drum samples, drum samples that we are hearing on records, they did start as real drums for the most part. The stuff's not synthesized, but they are processed in a way to make them sound the way they do. But that's just the sound right now. I I was watching a thing with Steve Lillywhite, I don't know, a month ago or so. He did a really long interview. He's done a couple of really long interviews with Andrew Sheps and I think he mentioned this in one of those. And he talked about how technology has always driven the music. So the technology that we have access to right now, if if you think about it, you know the technology that we have access to live sound right now is a lot of the same tools that all the bedroom producers have access to. So yes, it might be beneficial. That's how you get your right belly exactly. Eyelid. Which
1: literally in her brother. yeah, <laughs>
0: which depending on who you talk to is either a good thing or a bad thing. I don't get why people were people were really upset about that record doing well and i'm just like why are you upset about someone doing well at music well, see, <laughs> right
1: and you can't do that you, you know you can't do that because come on it's like that's kind of the natural progression of life we go from horses to cars you know so good on her and her brother that's, what that's I amazing thought. um and it's just the way it is and my whole approach to what we're talking about is kind of like when i see a microphone on an instrument I kind of want to hear what that instrument sounds like. But in the case of where we've come in styles of music, uh, tracks have become such a thing that sometimes you don't know if you're hearing the guitar player on the stage or if the guitar is a track that's been done in the studio that goes with pretty much every instrument on the stage. You just kind of don't know if there's a Pro Tools, you know, being run live during the event. I mean, they actually have positions on tours now, you know, the playback guy, um, that's actually a paid position (laughs) on certain artist tours. Because I think sometimes our audiences have become so accustomed to it wanting to sound like the record and so many things have been done now in the studio that you can't really do live or maybe the most effective and cheapest way to do it is just use the studio tracks. It's become a part of what we're used to listening to. And I guess that kind of comes down to what we're saying about the tools and about understanding the why and the plugins. It is to affect the sound, to represent the artist in the best way possible, but know when to do it and when not to do it.
0: So let me ask you a question, Scott. When you're walking in now and days, because you toured with Joe Bonamassa for a really good run, and to me, correct me if I'm wrong, when I think of Joe and I think of conversations that you and I had about what you were doing and approaching things he was kind of a purist and i mean he's got he's got amplifiers that are 300 years old out there on tour and you know (laughs) microphones that are you know some of the microphones were like they were a couple steps up from a tin can and a string you know and how vintage they are and And his fans fans loved loved it i saw i saw you mix them a couple of times and it was great i i loved those shows it sounded awesome when you're walking in now though, and you're walking into like a church or working with a more modern artist, what is your approach to figuring out the context of how you should approach the music? Like what do you who are you having conversations with and what are what are the questions that you're asking a lot of the time?
1: Well, I'm definitely wanting to know, you know, what they're going to play or who what artists they're you know, they're using for that weekend service. And I listen to it in depth. Luckily I got a lot of good friends out there that can help me figure out what tools are being used. Cause I have to make phone calls sometimes like, man, I'm hearing this song and, <laughs> and I know something's being done. And, and again, I'm very fortunate to have a pretty strong network that are more than willing to like help me figure out, you know, which plugin are or how they're doing it. and, To help me get to the end game, but for sure, I'm I'm wanting to know the tools that I'm going to be using and the style or the the artist that the worship band is going to be singing that Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever it's going to be. And I need to do my homework. And I mean, it's keeping me on my toes. I mean, it's it's like you said earlier. I mean, back in the day when we were doing the touring or just going and mixing a show from the analog world, everything was pretty much. The same in the sense of we knew that there was going to be a, a microphone, an XLR cable, a, you know, a, a channel strip, you know, an EQ. The flow, the in and outs, was going to be pretty much standard from brand to brand. There were some changes here and there, but it wasn't as hard as it is now because so much things are kind of under the hood, are hidden you have to know they're there from, you know, the, the sound grid servers, the, cause we have IP addresses and we've got Dante and we've got all of this digital communication and things aren't so before you in your eyesight and you have to dig through menus and you have to understand what's going on. I mean, I think that's why so many great tools like Robert Scoville is doing, letting helping you understand what latency is and helping you understand the digital world from the playbook of, you know, what's really going on when you're using these tools. So back to the original question, man, I, I, if I'm getting called to do a job, I'm asking all those questions. I'm making sure I'm the right guy. And I also try to get into the room on a virtual sound check before the band ever shows up. So a lot of times, you know, is there, is there a day open this week that I can come and get on your system, pull up a virtual sound check and sit with you know the worship leader or the worship producer or whoever's in charge and so I am going to be able to dial in what they're looking for. I know how to mix I've been doing it a long time, but to get to where they want it to be, I need to be open-handed and just kind of be a servant in that moment and work with somebody so we both arrive to the end game cross the finish line at the same place. so I mean that's the best way I can say it.
0: I think that's awesome. I think it's real easy, I think, for us as engineers to kind of get wrapped up in our own little world and think that we have all the answers and we have all the the best ideas for things. And, you know, sometimes we have good ideas and sometimes we do. But at the end of the day, (laughs) it's not our project. It's not our band. It's not our music, especially for live sound. We're there to serve an artist, to serve a music team, serve a worship director in what they're going for. And I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind. And sometimes, you know, maybe sometimes you need to find something that's a better fit, which right now, in the context of our current global pandemic, right, that's tough. It
1: is tough. I mean, there's... <laughs> for the live event industry being on pause. I mean, I've, we've had a lot of time to get better at our craft kind of through watching YouTube videos. And so many uh, of the manufacturers have done product releases and wonderful informative things. On the other side of that, it's also kind of frustrating because we've been in this time of not knowing when we're going to be able to go back and sit in our seats and do the jobs we love. So there's a lot of, you know, mental illness games that we've been playing to of trying to keep our spirits up. So, I mean, there's so, again, many rabbit trails I could go down. I'm finding that for me to stay busy right now, it's the church world. I'm kind of back in my hometown area. So St. Louis has been very kind. I have found mixing in about seven different churches now, fun, a new challenge. On all the fronts that we've been talking about, I mean, I'm getting introduced to a lot of new tools. Again, mixing Gio Bonamassa was a much more pure thing. Very blues rock. Joe knew his tone, so I would I did not mess with it. I was told by Joe he really doesn't want any compression on the channel, no gate, limited EQ, and I honored that and it worked fantastic. But in modern worship, the sound of a lot of those tracks and a lot of those things have been messed with. And so I have to open up waves, my wave sound grid, and look at the channels and appropriately apply the plugins that are needed to create that sound. And I'm, I'm starting to find it fun. I, you know, at first it's just like, oh, there's so much to know and learn and here we go again. But you know, I think that's just life. And being fully prepped on the front end is what eases my anxiety. Cause just to walk in would just be uh, a little overwhelming even for an experienced guy like me, especially if I'm gonna be using some tools that I've not used before. So I have those conversations of like, hey, Let's get into that room, you know, a couple days before we have to mix this service and let me get on your equipment and look at what you're doing and wrap my head around it and it's going to be better for everyone.
0: (laughs) So how are you, how are you approaching, because this might be helpful for guys because you are finding yourself with new tools these days. So what's your approach to kind of getting up to speed really fast on something you've never worked with before? If you're in there in virtual soundcheck, what, what are you doing?
1: Well, a lot of times I bypass everything first. To be honest, I turn the waves off. I want to hear what's really happening because sometimes I think the judgment calls of what was being used could have been wrong. And i not saying I'm a know-it-all, know-it-all or anything like that, but I, sometimes I want to challenge why things are being done. If I really in my heart feel like, oh, this is wrong, I think we should probably, like going back to this original thing, less is more, maybe not use some of these tools because, you know, that's a really great singer up there. And we are, we're taking the life out of her or him. And some of these things are really unnecessary. Or the, the instrument has just gotten so processed that it's just become a thing. It doesn't even sound anywhere close to what it originally sounded like to the point of just being destructive and wrong. Again, knowing where to turn your knobs or how far you should turn them or what not to use. I mean, just because you saw it in a YouTube video doesn't mean that is what you should be doing. There's usually a reason why that engineer chose to use whatever the product was. And if you have a great player, man, we can't forget about dynamics and we can't forget about you know letting things breathe and sometimes sound like they sound coming from the stage. So you mean you mentioned walking to the stage and actually hearing what's going on. Well, a lot of that's being lost. And I don't think we should get swing the pendulum too far to where we're not still remembering that there's a human being on the stage playing an acoustic instrument of some sort, drums, bass, you know, guitar, and not changing it to the point where you it's unidentifiable <laughs> as that being a drums bass or guitar. Treading carefully here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> are there any kind of trends that you see where when you're walking into a situation and discovering, oh, I think I think there might have been a better direction to go with something? Are there any trends that you're seeing when you're walking in on someone's setup where people are consistently like most people are they're doing this to something consistently? And it might be something where people can kind of watch, you know, yellow flags, I guess, on stuff at all, if that makes That's sense. That's a
1: really great question, man. Sometimes I see things like the C6 being overused. Oh, yeah. I see just a lot of just, you know, things being cut that add beauty to the vocal. Um, you know, there's a reason to use that plugin for sure. But I think you can overuse that plugin to where you're, you know, dynamic EQing things to the point that the vocal is just being compromised and sounds like a thing. It doesn't sound beautiful and natural anymore or have warmth and, you know, a soaring kind of quality.
0: Yeah, Um, I see. I, I go into a lot of places sometimes where I find EQs that there is so much going on. When I turn off the EQ, you get you get a good seven to ten dB gain back on the input because absolutely because all everybody's done is they've just you know it's and and I get it you end up and because I've been there I did this when I was young and learning and messing up where you end up, it's like, oh, it's too bright, and you turn that down. And then I go, oh, now it's too dark, and I turn the other one down. Now it's too bright, and I go back to the other one, and I turn down, and you just keep you just keep turning yeah, either end of the thing down, and all of a sudden, you have just basically pulled, I mean, it's the same thing as pulling the fader down at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of makeup gain at the end of plug-in chains. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 I mean, it's, I mean... I don't, I don't know how to quantify what I just said to you, but this thing that you just pointed out, I mean, is a real thing. I mean, there's game structure, things that need to be in play. And yeah, the up and down, back and forth fighting, you know, this is pushing the audio up. This is taking it back down. This is correcting this. You can get yourself into a hole and going back to the point of what I do a lot of time when I walk in as I turn it off again, just to hear is the gain structure set, right? Is what's the original instrument or vocals? What does it sound like? Cause I, I'm an artist too. And so I need to interpret what's going to happen or not happen, not based on somebody else's decision. Cause the mix is ultimately my responsibility. It's my art. And so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I do.
0: Yeah, I always when I'm out training guys, one of the things I try and stress is the bypass button is your friend. We should always be able to turn something off and back on and it should get better or at least get closer to where we're intending it to go. Because it's it's real easy. And and again, I'm not opposed to having long plug-in chains. I I've done it you you know I have videos on I, I have videos on YouTube where I mean if you if you looked at the vocal chain in one of my you know mixed sessions in my studio it's pretty long but I could tell you what every single one of those does and if I turn them off each one of them is going to make it worse as I turn it off and I think that's what you need to be able to do but the, there's a danger that I'm aware of And I go into this knowing that, but I think sometimes guys, they don't necessarily have this. The more complicated you process something, the harder it's going to be for you to troubleshoot later on. So when you do end up going down this rabbit trail and you've gone... 10 miles away from the original and you're still five miles off course from where you're trying to take it, Mm -hmm. knowing which one of those things in this chain of, you know, three things, eight things, 20, whatever it is, the more complicated it gets, the harder it is to find, you know, now you're looking for a needle in a haystack versus if you can keep it simple, it's like, oh, it's too bright. Well, I'm only messing with the brightness on one thing. Now I know where to go and get it. But if you've got three things doing it, well, which one is it? Is it A? Is it B? Or is it number three? You know, what's what's the problem?
1: Well, it's funny. This kind of pops into my head, kind of going very old school. We need to start with a microphone choice. Because I remember in the book, Mixing With, with Your Mind, that... The guy talked about knowing the color of your microphones, knowing the microphones that were dark sounding, knowing the microphones that were bright sounding. And so he chose the microphone like if he had a baritone vocal, he chose a brighter sounding microphone to make that vocal have more clarity and intelligibility. Instead of first starting with a plug in or with the equipment, start with your microphone, you know, not every vocal microphone works on every singer. And so if you have the ability, start there, try to get that right first. That's some of the basic stuff I think we're skipping that shouldn't be skipped, yep. if that makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I th- And that's that is a great book, by the way, for people. If you want a, a really good book on mixing, mixing with your mind is awesome. I think... I think you still have to order it from Australia. It's quite challenging. <laughs> yeah, it's it's expensive, but especially if you approach things like Scott and I mm. do as an artist, he really speaks into that, I think, in ways that I don't know, I love. That that book, it's yeah. it's the only book that actually is sitting on my desk in my studio that is audio related. Like I've got a lot of other books on the bookshelf. That <laughs> one is actually right on my desk right here.
1: because well, Sometimes you, sometimes you'll read a couple, you know, chapters and it's just like, I got to stop. Whoa. <laughs> and wrap my head around these concepts cause they're so good.
0: Yeah. And I wish, I wish he had an ebook version. You could get it for Kindle. Um, as far as I know you can't, but I think it is, it is definitely worth picking up. So before we wrap this up, Scott, we can geek out on gear a little bit. You and know, I aren't the, well, I guess I kind of am sometimes. <laughs> I go I go back and forth on my love-hate thing with gear. There are some weeks I'm totally over it and I just want to make music and other days I, I mean, I love it. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's fun to turn knobs. It's fun. The blinking lights are, yeah, are always fun. Are there any tools that you've been finding lately that are new to you that you've been like, wow, I love this thing?
1: Man, I might disappoint you right now.
0: <laughs> um, That's
1: fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't think I have really would say I found a tool recently that I'm really like, I can't live without this or I can't wait to use this more. Because so much of who I am is more of the artist because I was such a musician before I started mixing that I I still gravitate more to instruments and musicians and that type of a thing. So I know I'm disappointing your, your audience right now.
0: Well, I don't think, um, so. I, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's actually good for people to hear though, because it's so easy to get wrapped up in the technology. And yeah. sometimes I think it's, it's easy to go, you know, you watch a video on YouTube or mix with the masters, or you go hang out with somebody at a show or at their church. And it's really easy to kind of get into this sort of gear envy kind of thing. Right. Which correct. That's a really unhealthy place to go. You know,
1: brother, I'm going to hit on what you just said, because I had a young engineer walk into an arena to mix something with a group. This is several years ago but they weren't able to get his uh sound grid for the event and he absolutely broke down that he could not get his mix and he wasn't really mixing anything that really required it. the the style of music and whatnot was not that really needed this treatment. he could have got there and he did get there with what was built on, onto the console and sometimes we forget these manufacturers spend a lot of money giving us really good tools inside these digital mixing desks when you buy something like a Digico an Avid, an SSL, you know, whatever brand, I'm not trying to be brand specific, but they, they take a lot of time and, and giving us some very good tools that will get you there. And so the whole tool envy thing, yeah, there's some people that are going to be able to afford things and it's great sometimes when you can get them, but I find it even greater when you get to work with an artist over the equipment and what that kind of a thing. I always think about you know the musician first before the tool, and it's just the way I'm built. And uh, I have got to use some incredible gear. And yes, there's a difference, <laughs> but there's a price tag that comes with that too. So you have to justify everything. But yeah, and what you're what you're trying to say, I I don't really have off the top of my head a single piece or something that I've discovered that you know I can really. You know, go. Hey, that's that's it for me right now.
0: I yeah. I I kind of thanks for laughing. <laughs> well, no, I kind of feel the same way sometimes, and I think see for me to say that though, it, it's easy for me to say, unfortunately, and I know people are going to take this with a grain of salt because. You know, it's no secret. I do some stuff with waves and I have access to all of it. It's there. But the thing for me is it's like, on the one hand, you go, okay, awesome. I have all of these tools. But now there's, there's a flip side to that in that, well, okay, I have 50 compressors to pick from. <laughs> well, which one do you pick? If you don't know your gear in and out, that can be crippling to sit there and go, oh, do I want the FET compressor or the Opto or the VCA or which one do I use? You know, I have all these tools here, but the truth is I don't, I don't use a lot of them.
1: The Two things I want to add to what you're saying. Number one, there's a TED talk out there that when a human being is given too many options in life, the satisfaction goes down. And I felt that way one time when I came up to a friend's, uh, compressor click on his computer and it propagated you know like a hundred different compressors and my mind just was like oh my gosh <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't even know where to start because <laughs> i go back and go, how about a dbx 160 or you know yeah there something you go. completely benign and normal that i from the past But anyway and the other thing is you know a band that both you and i love being you too knowing that Bono sometimes recorded a track on an SM58 that ended up on the Grammy award-winning record.
0: Most of them. you know,
1: Yeah, th- like when you think about an $80 microphone winning a Grammy on, of course, it's U2, but they didn't pull in this finest $10,000 studio microphone. It was not the right choice for what the art was going to be you know how how the art was reflected and created and so that's kind of that's kind of what i'm talking about you here. know
0: michael jackson's thriller well a lot of michael jackson's vocals that he did with quincy jones he was on an sm7 which exactly which is the 58 and 57 on steroids <laughs> to me i've been doing a lot of projects lately with sm7s and it's like hey this is it sounds like a vocal once <laughs>
1: Yeah, and and I say that for the younger guys out there that need to know that, like, relax. You can still get a great mix on the tools you have and just go for it. I mean, there's things, people are using GarageBand and it's ending up on records. So,
0: come on. Cool. Scott, I think this has been a great conversation. There's a lot of good stuff here. Go back, if you're listening to this and you made it this far, go back and listen to it another three or four times because I'm sure there's some stuff you missed. Where can people get a hold of you if you want them, or maybe you don't want people to get a hold no. where, where, how can people <laughs> how can people find you on social media and get in touch with you?
1: Sure. I am just mainly on Facebook. I'm the old guy. I set up an Instagram account and I've never posted to it. <laughs> I kind of use it to keep up with everybody else. And I rarely use Twitter, but uh, Facebook is where you can connect with me, and I pretty much answer anybody if you if you hit me up with a question or you want to, I love talking to other engineers out there, guys, girls that are trying to take this path that I've been on, been in on, and uh, so yeah, it would be Facebook.
0: Well, Scott, thank you so much for being here today and chatting. It's been great to catch up with you, and uh, hopefully, we can do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, maybe we can get on a plane soon. You know,
0: I'm I'm COVID actually I'm getting over. on a plane this week, actually. So awesome. Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Scott Ragsdale, everybody. I've known Scott for a long time, and it was great catching up with him to record this. I wish I had recorded all of the stuff we talked about before and after the quote-unquote official start, but I broke my rule, and I wasn't always in the red. So maybe... Maybe we'll get to revisit some of those nuggets in a future episode. Anyways, thanks so much for listening today. If you want to keep up with articles and videos and future podcast episodes I'm releasing, I'd appreciate it if you could head over to my website, going com, and subscribe to updates. There's a little box that comes up on the bottom of the page plug your email in and hit subscribe. You can unsubscribe at any time. You can also email podcast at going 11com with comments, suggestions, ideas you've got. And finally, of course, you can find me on social media. I'm at fohdave on Twitter and F-O-H one on Instagram. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do me a big favor and share it with someone you think it will help. You know, leaving a good review over on Apple Music doesn't hurt either, but I think it helps even more when you just share it directly with someone you think will benefit for it. So again, thanks for listening today, and I will talk to you soon.